All right, please join me in Psalm chapter number 119. I think the only thing the family was missing was Kyle singing with them. That would have been really nice. But there is a real substance, a real sweetness to our relationship with the Lord. There's a real substance in the truth of God's Word. And as it says in Psalm 181, uh, where it references hunting the rock, it is satisfying to us. uh, That what God's Word has for us can satisfy us in a real and a meaningful way. This isn't pretend. That was Pastor Hall's prayer for us tonight. That there is real truth in God's Word uh, that is satisfying for you and for I. And it makes all the difference. It's worth taking your life and going to share it in whatever part of the world. And it's worth trusting in for every part um, of our lives. Psalm chapter number 119, as we've been taking these different sections and walking through it, seeing the incredible benefit of God's Word, each section highlights a different aspect that is for it for us. Tonight, it's going to show us that if even when you feel overwhelmed and without any comfort, you should remain steadfast to your commitment to God's Word. When you feel overwhelmed without any comfort, you should remain steadfast to God's Word. It hurts more because I feel completely abandoned by God. You may have said that. You may have felt that. If it wouldn't be so bad if I just didn't feel completely all alone. Or it feels like I've been in this season just forever. I don't know how long this has been. Or even though I'm alive, I feel like I'm dead. If you've ever said anything or ever felt anything like that, you're in the company of the psalmist here. That's what he expresses um, unto the Lord that he feels that. Brother Travis, I feel like since we started a grief share here at the church, where Stephen and Stephanie uh, did, uh, that maybe on some type of um, something outside of Google, something that would be beyond that, something more spiritual, uh, God has opened up so many conversations. Uh, recently, a man just looked at me and he said, um, I'm just so tired. And I just, he's just so tired. He just said, I've been dealing with something, this heartache for so long, and so much pain. Um, Today, a man stopped by all the way, lives on exit 10, said, I don't know why I'm supposed to be here. I just felt drawn to come to this church, and I just feel without hope. I just feel miserable. And he explained his life uh, from Venezuela. Juan and I met out here, and I've had an opportunity uh, to speak um, uh, with him. And um, it was um, it's a real blessing that we have an answer from uh, God's Word uh, to us here. And um, there is honey in the rock, as it said. There is a real substance to uh, what we believe. Before I jump into the psalm, try to get you um, up to speed and what uh, we're thinking, get our heads around it, remind you a few things that Jesus told um, his followers. He told them that, um, I'm sending you out as sheep um, before wolves. He tells us that in Matthew number uh, chapter 10, verse 16, that you'll be sheep above wolves, that you'll be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Kind of gives you a clue of what life was going to be like for the disciples. His own suffering at the hand of enemies. Jesus leaves us an example. First Peter chapter number 3, he tells us, And who is he that will harm you if you be followers that which is good? But if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be ye not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that giveth, asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas you speak evil of you as an evildoer, that you may be ashamed that falsely accuse you of good conversation in Christ. But it is better if the will of God be so that you would suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. And then the greatest example for Christ also hath once suffered for sins." the just for the unjust, 
that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. That if you are suffering in your well-doing, then it's much better than being suffering in your wrongdoing. And we have Jesus Christ as our um, example. But the suffering is still real, and it's painful. Apostle Paul explained the words in a, in a similar type of lament, a groaning inwardly, where he waits for the day of redemption, Romans eight twenty three. And not only they, but ourselves, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, or the witness, the redemption um, of our body. So as we've been through Psalms and we go through the book of Lamentations on Sunday night, we say that our laments or our prayers to God where we come to Him and we just say, God, I don't feel like there's any comfort here. God, I feel like I've been waiting this long for so long. We are joining the world and groaning and waiting for His day of returning. We're ready for the King to return. And we're, we're taught in Scripture that the Spirit makes intercession for us. It takes our inability to communicate and it takes it uh, to the Lord. And also the psalmist would say what we would learn in Romans is that what should separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. That even when I feel like I'm almost destroyed, I am not, nothing has separated me from it. Even though almost is such a big word in the psalm we'll get to, is that when I feel like I'm completely without hope, I can cling on to the one thing that's never changing. I can cling on to this one thing, this life uh, that I know will not change. So the three things are answered in the psalm or spoken about. Verse 81, when will thou comfort me? He asked, when will you comfort me? I feel completely abandoned, God. When will the time come when the way that I feel will stop? When will I ever feel different? How many are the days of thy servant? Verse 84, just a question about time. When are you going to show up? How long am I going to be stuck here? And in the ending of this portion, it says, quicken me, which is an acknowledgement to say, I feel dead. I feel dead on the inside. If y'all didn't look so nice tonight and weren't such good Christians came on Thursday night and you were honest people, how many of you would say that you've ever walked through life and you said even though you were among the living internally, you felt among the dead? We're not saying that you weren't a believer, that you hadn't been made alive, but you're just living as a dead person. Your emotions were dead. Your ability to taste was gone. Your ability to enjoy life was gone. You just didn't feel like you'd ever be back at it. So the first four verses, this servant who had been persecuted talks about his affliction before God. This lays it out there. And the last four verses show how we ought to behave in such a condition. Maybe you find yourself there the night. Maybe you know somebody is in that situation. Or maybe you're headed into that. But we should pay attention. So first off, this question where it says, my, where he asked for comfort. Verse number 81. My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope... And thy word, what two things put together, such contrast. I'm fainting, Lord. I'm about to no longer have any strength, but I'm going to hold on and have an expectancy for your word. My eyes fell for thy word, verse 82, saying, When will thou comfort me? For I am become like a bottle in the smoke, yet do I not forget thy statutes. Speaks of a failing strength that we can all experientially know is true about us, but also God's word. Psalm 3, 2 says, Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Think about this, Selah. Many of us have been here before. Many of us meet people in this situation. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Then our eyes begin to fail. My eyes fell for thy word, saying, When will thou comfort me? 
God, I'm watching, I'm looking, I'm searching diligently, I'm looking for some comfort, but when is it going to come? When am I going to get the good news? When am I going to see you coming in the clouds? When am I going to get a phone call and say that it's all going going away? When am I going to find something that removes this feeling that is upon me? Their eyes were watching for a sign of God's answers. He was just looking for comfort. It was described like this. He was like a bottle in the smoke. Think of a a wineskin. This is a picture that... um, um, of, of a wineskin outside of the smoke, something leathery, uh, that uh, the smoke is going there, which would make it just dry and brittle and fragile. And if you could just picture that, have you ever just felt like your soul was just dry and brittle? love what Spurgeon says about this, is that this illustration that's being used in the Bible, it also speaks of the character of the trial. Our trials are smoke, but they're, but they're not fire. They're very uncomfortable, but they do not consume us. So that picture that I'm dried up here and I feel like I just have no life about me. We walk through a shadow of the valley of the shadow of death, right? It doesn't consume us, but it just feels like it took all the life from us. So there's a failing strength and then we have a loss of direction. We begin to lose courage and strength as our hope fades away. The opposite. We ought to say, be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. All that hope in the Lord. So if you work that backwards, you remove the hope in the Lord. You're no longer of good courage. You no longer have that strength, but you have a, a failing heart. A book I've been reading recently, The Conviction the Lead, says, We cannot lead in a way that is faithful for Christ and effective for Christ's people if we are not deeply invested in Christian truth. We cannot faithfully lead if we do not first faithfully believe. Leading is believing. You know, you're not going to lead yourself out of that, that place if you're not believing, if you're not anchoring your hope on God's word, you're just going to be left like a ship tossed to and fro, nothing anchored. And so leading is believing, and the most important person that you're ever going to lead is yourself, right? From where you're at, back to God and to his word. We can be desperate people, but we're not despairing. We can be troubled on every side, perplexed, um, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. How Paul would say this is both extremes can be possible. Anything can happen to me in the flesh. Anything can happen into this world. I may be desperate for the Lord, but I'm not despairing as somebody who does not have hope. And then it says that he's waiting for the Lord's salvation. If you were to come up to the psalmist and say, hey, I can get you out of this predicament, but you're going to have to sin, he would say, I'll wait. I would rather be in this trouble than be out of it on my own terms what he's saying when I wait for the Lord's salvation. I will wait for the Lord to deliver me because if he doesn't, then I'm not going to be uh, delivered. So there he says, I just feel like I need some comfort. Then he asks, has this not been long enough? Any of you have to ground your kids? You know, any of you do the hard work of grounding your kids? I, I don't know how many times I'll say, hey Siri, set a clock for 10 days on Carson Cornwell, all right? Uh, that's their fear right there. That is going to the woodshed for them at this age right now. And so uh, they say it, and then they'll say, well, how about it, Dad? Can I see your phone? Why do you want to see my phone? I want to see your calendar. Son, it's been two days. No, it's, it was last week. I'm like, no, it was just 20 minutes ago, right? And uh, sometimes they get out on good behavior, not normally, all right? Uh, but they're wanting to know, how long is it? And I relate with them. I do not want that. I hate managing tensions. I hate a problem that just can't be resolved. I hate something where I'll say, the problem that I'm facing is going to be here 
for a long time, or maybe always. I want you to know that. There's some losses in life that you're not going to move past. You weren't designed to move past them. You will carry a hurt in your heart that Jesus will be always ready to heal and to meet you, but you're going to walk with that limp. You're going to have that thorn there. And so the season isn't something to get through. It's not something to run past, but it's just the way to run to him is to lean heavily upon him. Verse 84, how many are the days of thy servant? When wilt thou execute judgment on them that persecute me? This is one of those laments. This is one of those talking to God in a way that we wouldn't know was appropriate if we didn't know that the scripture showed us that we could. The proud have dig pits for me, which are not after the law. The, the proud aren't. And all thy commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help thou me. They had almost consumed me upon earth, but I forsook not thy precepts. Oh, believer, this is such strong words. I almost were consumed, but I didn't forsake God's precepts. I did right. I think it was Bob Jones Sr. that says, do right until all the stars fall out of the sky. Then do right, right? There's, there's no conditions in this world in which doing right is not the answer, is not the path towards joy, is not the path forward in your life. And so it feels like it's been forever, just distraction and despair. I've showed you many times in Psalm 119 how that um, it always says, ask something about God's word. In thy, um, in thy law, in thy precepts, according to thy commandments, according to thy statutes, there's about nine different phrases that you're going to find one of them in almost every verse. You don't find it here in the passage where it says, the proud have, um, wilt thou, how many days of thy servants, when wilt thou execute judgments on them that persecute me? You don't have anything, no reference to God's word. It's as if we're seeing here that the distraction and despair had caused him to lose focus on God's word. And then the psalmist says that he feels hunted like an animal. The proud have dig pits for me. Just walking around. I'm sure some of you men in here as kids, you, you dug a hole that you thought was super deep, right? It probably wasn't two feet deep and you, you put some leaves on it and you just had an idea that you're going to come back and find a, a bear in it, even if you lived where there wasn't bears. You had great plans. Um, but they, this is a trapping. It was made. A snare was made for them. And it felt like the enemy was hiding these places around me. And we all know we have one mutual enemy in Satan in this world. And many times that the, the application for the psalm is not a human person as coming after David, uh, but it's the circumstances we're dealing with in life, or, it's, um, or it may be Satan, the accuser of the brother. It may be your thought life. Sometimes you're your own greatest enemy. And it's as if you have these traps that are just set out. So it's like I'm walking along and everything's fine. But then I have despair and I have distraction once again because it seems like no matter, I get 10 steps ahead, next thing I know I've fallen once again into this pit that was dug uh, for me. And the cause of pain seems to be unaffected by life, by God's word. It says, which are not after the law. It's like, God, why do I have to play according to the rules? Because the pain doesn't seem to play according to the rules. Cancer doesn't seem to play according to the rules. The enemy doesn't seem to play according to the rules. They have no concern for living what's right and what's wrong. You know, you ever played, Noah, I know, played basketball. Imagine he was better than Nate, but not as tenacious, right? Less likely to bite somebody in a game, all right? And um, you had those teams, and they're just, you have, you play against somebody, and they're just not playing according to the rules. If you're playing basketball, if you're playing soccer um, at, at Jeff's age, you're not playing fair anymore. That's how they equal. I don't play with people my age anymore. They're not nice. They're not, it's not the same sport. And the world doesn't play nice with this. It just doesn't. The enemies of this world don't play according to God's law. They don't. 
And so you're going to be so tempted to not want to play by that, that, that book. But David says with a, little, a literal physical enemy that wasn't playing by the rules, he said, not me. I'm going to live according to God's commandments. I might be able to do this. And David had so many times. And God made it real clear to us, right? He had shortcuts. Could he have killed Saul? Certainly. Could he have taken the kingdom earlier than he was supposed to? Certainly. Was there all kinds of things available to David? He said, yes. He said, it doesn't matter that they don't play according to God's law. I am going to keep God's precepts. And then he cries out, help thou me. I felt as if I'm almost consumed. It's kind of cliche, but it works where it says, when you feel like you're at the end of your rope, tie a knot, right? And to hang on. Well, the Bible would put it in this way. When you feel almost consumed by this earth, don't forsake his precepts. Just hold on. Just trust him. When everything else is gone and all you have that you're holding on to is one page of scripture with one promise on it, that is the only thing you can count on in this life and hold on to it with dear life. So when you feel completely destroyed, you hold on to something that is undestructible. You hold on to something that's undestructible. And when we reach out to God in obedient faith, his comfort is always available to us. There's times of testing. Saul had one in 1 Samuel 28, uh, verse 6. I thought of this a story when we had brother um, on Sunday uh, night. We all know his name. And what is his name, Travis? Walter Stephen. Walter Stephen. That's right. I'm glad you know that. Brother Stevens on Sunday night was telling the story about um, his wife being a fortune teller and taking a chainsaw uh, to the sign. I remember when I had to do that for Stephanie. Those were just tough days. And um, I don't know. See, yeah, um, they think they know. There's, some, there's a little bit of truth to that, right? Our wives do think they know some things that are extra biblical, and they, they just know stuff, right? That's for another sermon another day, all right? And so um, he, where do you turn? So Saul said, um, he's Saul, uh, Psalm 28, verse 6. I want you to see this. I know I, know I moved quick on the scriptures, but I want you to see this and um, see uh, what comes after it. So 1 Samuel 28, verse 6, it says, When Saul inquired of the Lord... As I inquired my son, wondering why he hasn't put the scripture um, on the screen. Uh, You have a written copy in in your lap right there. You can look at it. And Saul inquired of the Lord. The Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by the prophets, in their ways. Then Saul said unto his servants, this is such a crisis in your life. What are you going to do when you have to wait upon the Lord? He wanted an answer. He wasn't getting an answer. Then Saul said unto the servant, Seek me a woman that has a familiar spirit that I may go to her. Go find the local witch doctor, right? That was not the correct answer to that. It was a crisis of what you're going uh, to do. I've shared this with some of you already. It's one of my proudest moments in preaching, Pastor Hall. Preaching my best messages on Monday, not on the property here, right out here on the road, okay? I pulled out of the church. A young person in a sports car hit me uh, on the turn over here, and they knew they were, in, they knew they were wrong. And, uh, but as they were waiting for the police, he begins to create a story. He's walking. He's on the phone with his friends. And so he tells the police officer, I don't know where he came from. He, came, I don't know, he was just telling some kind of story. Well, I, um, I know I was supposed to be a good Christian and go tell, uh, invite him to a home Bible study, but I didn't need to talk to him. I didn't talk to him. I'm like, this is, let's keep some distance, okay? I'm still not real happy with you, all right? And um, so I was sitting there, and then um, 
after I saw that, and the police officer gets in his car to make the report, I, across the road, I just see, I start, I say, young man, that's how you start when you want people to know you're older than them. Um, young man, this is the year of the Lord. No, I didn't say that. I said, young man, I said, you're having a crisis uh, of integrity right now. You're having an integrity crisis. You've already made one mistake today, and you're about to make a second mistake. So why don't you do right and go tell him that you ran into me? And he put his head down, and he walked over to the police officer and said, I hit him. He got went into his lane. And I'm like, we're having a revival. Greg, call the church. Get everybody in the building. I'm going to solve all of our problems. I'm on fire right now. And um, it was a decision. What are you going to do? And to his credit, to probably his family's credit, that little bit of encouragement, he chose to do what was right. We're in those all the time. Um, you are. When you say, God, I know your word tells me that I'm not supposed to find comfort in any of these things, but I feel comfortless right now. Life is hard. So no, I will not go and find it in someone outside of my wife. No, I will not go and find it online. No, I'm not going to find it in buying myself something right now. Why do most people find debt? It's not because of bad financial management. It's because finding comfort in something they think they're going to buy. So many times you have to wait upon the comfort uh, of the Lord. And when you say, no, I'm going to go and get it now, you put yourself in the same ridiculous situation that Saul did, where you turn to the world and say, I wanted an answer from God. I didn't get any. So what's the best thing that this world has to offer me? Help thou me. It's a time of testing. And you'll have to decide what you will do when the Lord answered him not. And I would encourage you. I won't spend much time here, but in Psalm chapter number 40 will be a great place to go. If you're in a time of waiting, if you feel like you're in a time of wanting comfort and wanting to seek it outside of God, look at Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and he heard my cry and he brought me out of a horrible pit, out of a miry clay, set my feet upon a rock. He puts a new song in my mouth. So he doesn't just wait, but he gives praise to God. He doesn't just wait, but he gives praise to God. And then he gets caught up. He starts off on this. And then verse 5, Many, O Lord, are the wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward, thou cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. God, your thoughts towards us are wonderful, and they're more than I can measure them. What a great place to be when you say, There are more problems in my life than I can count. This is too much to count. What else is in my life that I can't count? Why don't I go look at that? Oh, God's work towards me is more is infinite. God's work towards me is countless. David's commitment declaring his thoughts about God so that others could hear him. Verse 4, he that put a new song in my mouth. Verse 5 of Psalm 40, declare and speak them. Verse 9, not restrain thy lips, not hidden, spoken, or concealed. And verse number 10 is that I am, while I'm waiting, I'm going to rejoice. While I'm waiting, I'm going to give praise to God. I'm not going to complain to people. I'm not going to murmur, but I'm going to talk about his goodness. David doesn't rejoice at the closing ceremony of the war. He does it in the middle of it. Verse number 12, innumerable evils have compassed me, Lord. My iniquities, have, they have taken hold of me, so I'm not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head, therefore my heart faileth. But be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me, O Lord, make haste to help me. David celebrates the past deliverance in the midst of having trouble because he knows he's not alone. Verse 17, but I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tearing, O my God. He says, I am poor and needy, 
yet the Lord thanketh upon me. Are you alone? No, you're not. Are you without a comforter? Most certainly not. David knew this in the midst of that. And then lastly, that quickened me in thy loving kindness. God, I feel like I'm dead. I need to be made alive. And I know how you're going to do that. You're going to do it with your mercy, your loving kindness towards me, the covenant promise that you have made uh, to me as your child. I'm going to keep your testimonies. And this prayer of quickening is the acknowledgement of our death. It's more than just a prayer of survival. He wants the ability to enjoy life. You ever been through something? When, when I was 16, you know, I was in the hospital for a month. And when I got out, everybody said, man, you just, you did so great. We're so proud of you. And I thought, all I did was live. All right. Like that's all I've done is I've lived. Congratulations um, on doing that, which we celebrate on birthdays, right? Good job, Jonathan. You made it to 19. All right. Uh, this week. But we're saying we want to do more than survive. We want to be able to enjoy life. It's okay to make that a goal inside of Christ. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We have a joy about our lives. If, there, if you're not living, regardless of your circumstances, if you're not living life joyfully, it is okay to pursue that with all, everything in you. To say, I want to live a joyful life. Quickening is our greatest need. Life is our greatest need. It's also his greatest gift to us. He will give it. As it was sung, there's honey in the rock. There is, uh, there's something that he will satisfy us in a sweet manner that he would give it. Then he cries out, help thou me, in verse number um, 86. They will persecute me, persecute me, ask that you would help me. How does he do it? He does it according to the love and kindness. And then look at verse number 87. It says, and they had almost consumed me. That's so important. They almost consumed me upon the earth. You've heard many testimonies that start with, I almost didn't make it, but you did, Right? I almost didn't make it, but I did. I thought I was going to faint, Lord, and I cried out for your salvation. I thought I was going to be consumed. I thought I was without hope, but I cried out to God, almost but not altogether, the saving clause, I forsook not thy precepts. Verse 88, quicken me after thy loving kindness, so shall I keep thy testimony of thy mouth. Desire to live out God's word before other people. Nothing would make the psalmist forsake God's word, but I forsook not thy precepts. Nothing offered to him. The psalmist rightly understood that the word of God actually came from the mouth of God. He says, your words, Lord, I do not want to, I shall keep the testimony of your mouth. Why not statues? Why not thy word? Why was it said like this? Because he wanted to say these promises are not just ways to live life written in a book but they were coming from the mouth of God. How can you say that God is far from you and that there is no comfort when you're hearing his voice? He hasn't forsaken us. The fact you have evidence of right there in your, in your lap. And then as you read it, it doesn't just stay on the page, does it? That the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you takes it deep into your heart because these are the words of God bringing comfort to us. So we cry out for help and he provides that for us. So Jesus knows how we feel. I would be very careful when somebody tells me something they've went through, even if it's almost identical to something I went through, I rarely say, I know how you feel, because I don't. Their situation is different. They came at it differently than I did. I can't say that, but our Savior can. Hebrews 5, 8, For though he were a son, yet learned obedience by the things which he suffered, he experienced the homesickness, from the presence of the Father far beyond and more painful than anything we can experience living a perfect life, 
but being treated unfairly, crying out to the Father, feeling forsaken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His necessary separation makes all other separations now optional to us. There's no reason I'll ever be separated from the Father. And so what are we to do with our loneliness, waiting and feeling of sadness that make us feel like we are dead? I want to remind you that we're not alone. God has not forsaken us. Much of our waiting has been dependent um, on us. This is what much of our waiting has been dependent on us. Charles Spurgeon preached the message called, When Will You Comfort Me? And in the message, he gave some practical answers. Four things. I'm going to read this psalm to you. Uh, I'm going to pray this psalm to you. Then we will uh, sing a a verse together before uh, we we leave. But this is what Spurgeon said about this passage and about waiting being dependent on us. He says, Comfort will come when we put our way our unbelief. No, it's not the unbelief that there's not a God. You're a believer. That's not what you're dealing with. No, it's not a belief that God isn't uh, going to do right. But maybe it's putting away the unbelief that you're alone. Maybe it's putting away the unbelief that he's not there. Maybe it's putting away the belief that he hasn't spoken to you and that you're without comfort. Comfort will come when we are finished complaining. When we can go to him and praise him, will we receive the comfort needed? And we come to him first, though, when we share our laments with him. Comfort will come when we put away the sin that we tolerate. We will go to him when we stop going to something else. You know, you can't say that he's not comforting you when you found comfort in something else. And comfort will come when we fulfill the duties we have neglected. We went to the place in which he has promised to meet us. We have found ourselves in his word. And so with every lonely need, we can say this, Hebrews 4, 16. This is possible that we were unreconciled to God at birth because of the fall of Adam, because of our sin, but because of what Jesus Christ did upon the cross, we can go boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can never say that we're without comfort. We can never say that we're all alone. There's never any reason to say that we're just living dead. We can go to him. He wants to allow you into his presence. How much? His son died in your place so that you could go to him and find that grace.